Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact, the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. For tuning in to this latest episode of the Rumors Are True podcast. My name is Jeremy, and today I welcome my friend John Mark McMillan. You know John from the records The Medicine, Economy, Borderland, Mercury and Lightning, and Peopled with Dreams. What a prolific songwriter of our generation. I'm really stoked and honored to have him on the podcast. Incredible conversation. We dive into the old records and his past and just an incredible opportunity like I said before so with that said I hope you enjoy this latest episode with John Mark McMillan
John, Mark, thank you so much for coming on my podcast, man. I really, really appreciate it. Yes, I am pumped to be on your podcast, Jeremy. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that, man. How, how are you doing, man? Tell me what's going on in your life, man. I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. What is going on is that we've had an amazing summer, mm. um, and it's been a wild summer, and it's time for my kids to go back to school. <laughs> it's been complicated, too, I guess. We've had some health issues with people uh, and family and stuff like that, and yeah. um, so that's always uh, tough. Um, but overall, it's been a good summer. Spent some good time with the kids, and... Uh, now we're all sort of exhausted and I'm ready for them to go to school so I can focus on Absolutely. my work. That's yeah. cool, man. Has it inspired you maybe to write some stuff or is it uh, something that you feel like when they need to be away so you can write? Is that kind of how it works for you? Um, I think so. I don't know if there's any specific inspiration. I feel like that happens later, right? There might be something that happens and then I'll look back and be like, that was cool. But mostly, I when I in order to write, I need some space because I get real silly. <laughs> it sounds dumb. It sounds really dumb. But I have to feel like nobody's listening to me. Yeah, no, it's really that. hard. And so that includes my kids. If they're in the next room, I'm always sort of on edge. So yeah. I I can I can get things done in the summer, but the the writing part is difficult to do at home. I believe it. Um, you know, I can finish up a song or. We can start recording something sometimes, but it's it's a little bit difficult when I feel like people are listening to me or hear the like, you know, totally. uh, ruckus in the next room. It's hard to get in focus. The right yeah, absolutely. Space. Yeah. No, I get that. That's cool. I mean, it's cool that you got the the summer to spend time with it, but it's time for daddy to go to work. <laughs> I know exactly, <laughs> exactly. I got to pay for that vacation. <laughs> Sick, dude. Sweet. Yep. So uh, let, I wanted to go back when you and I kind of met, uh, yep. you know, like I was on tour with Sun Bears and we yep. did a show at the Evening Muse in Charlotte. Awesome. Cool venue. So cool there. Yep. I love and it. And I was psyched out of my mind. Uh, Jared Bowser was like, John Mark's going to be at the show. Like, <laughs> Are you freaking serious? And to be honest mm. with you, I was obsessed with the medicine. Like I, wow. somebody had sent me that record and I... Loved it. I gravitated to it. It hit me at the right time. I was going through a divorce, and it just mm. was a pivotal record for me. And so to me, meeting you was an honor. Obviously, obviously oh, wow. it was cool. And it was just awesome that you were so humble and sweet and kind, and I just never forgot that. So, you know, and, and then I luckily got a chance, an opportunity to help on your Live at the Night in Charlotte. Yep. Awesome show. Amazing time to hang out. And, man, I and all the times you've come to Jacksonville, just been able to hang out and and bro down. It's just been awesome to know you. Yeah. Man. Man, well, it's good to know you too. And I, I remember, uh, so like James Duke and John Berlin have all these friends and their lives could be kind of like a movie because they only make friends with really interesting people. <laughs> I believe like only me, like everyone they know is memorable. Nobody is unmemorable. <laughs> and so when they bring a new character in, into the show, I'm always fascinated. And when you when I met you at the um, at the Visualite with with John. Oh, that's right. It was Visualite. You're right. You're right. No, it wasn't the Visualite. It was no. the Evening Muse. It I was thought it was, Muse. but I, I know the Visualite yeah. for some weird reason that rang a bell too. But go ahead. That's another club in Charlotte. You might they might have played there too, but it was definitely the Evening Muse. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the Evening. Yeah, Muse. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember so, being dope. But yeah. well, I appreciate so those was, kind of words. Yeah, yeah. So it's great to meet you as part of the cast of the. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's funny you say that because those guys are in a world of their own, and, and that's aren't they? Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I love those guys, man. They're hilarious. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about um, growing up for you, John Mark. Uh, yeah. I kind of want to know what it was like for you and how music kind of infiltrated your life and maybe some records, some bands, um, influences that kind of shape kind of who you are at this point in your life. Yep. So, man, this music has been a very long journey. I think my first experience with music is like in church. I grew up in, um, my parents are uh, definitely come from the 1970s kind of hippie Jesus people type of thing. Yeah. And we lived on a um, farm when I was a kid with a bunch of other hippie Jesus type people. Um, and so we would go to meetings and they would just play long worship sets. And so I remember my dad wasn't really a drummer, but when they didn't have a drummer, he'd get on the drums and let me sit back behind him. And afterwards, sometimes I'd hang around and bang on the drums. And so that's, that's sort of my first memories of music or music at church, bunch of acoustic guitars and people singing choruses and that type of thing. My parents also were a little bit of, um, my parents are wonderful, by the way. And I think this was super normal, um, even though I think parents of that era get a, get, get a hard time. We give them a hard time about it. But my parents thought, you know, secular music and secular culture was going to destroy us all. So mm-hmm. yeah. we didn't grow up like listening. We weren't, they didn't tell us we couldn't listen to music, secular quote music. We just didn't have any around, really. Yeah. So we didn't we didn't hear it, uh, except my dad had a tape from the Stand By Me soundtrack. Nice. And I remember listening to that on the way back from the beach. And looking back, I, re- I know exactly what was going on, having driven to and from the beach with my kids when they're small, and they're like three and a half hours in, the AC's not working, and they're screaming, and you just want to be home, and they just want to be home. <laughs> and so you just put on whatever you can. And I remember him just putting on the Stand By Me soundtrack and turning it all the way up. And I just, I just remember that, that song especially, uh, Stand By Me, the, um, Benny King, right? And, and that whole soundtrack of uh, the music from the 60s. And um, this is sort of where I, I think I first... That was my first experience with music where I thought music might be kind of magical. Wow. You know, um, kind of magical. And then, of course, you know, with my friends in junior high, they were into mostly rap. So I think the first tape I ever bought with my own money was, um, gosh, what's the, it wasn't Ace of Bass, because Ace of Bass was not rap, but it was somebody whose, like, bass was their thing. Rob Bass. Rob Bass. Rob Bass, it might have been. Yeah. You know, I just remember with the boom in the trunk, I'll take out any <laughs> punk. That is the rap, right? The boom <laughs> in the trunk. It's just like, man, I kind of miss those days too. Like posturing with how loud your sound system oh, could yeah. be in your car. We oh, don't yeah. have that like we used to. But, and so I remember getting into rap mostly because my friends told me it was cool. And then I remember being sick one day. I was sick. And my parents left me at home by myself. So, of course, what I did was, and this is after the farm, right? We weren't on the farm anymore. We were just living in a neighborhood. And um, we had cable, basic cable. Or there was only kind of basic cable back then. We're talking the 90s, right, I guess. <laughs> so, my parents left house because I was sick. I was home from school. Um, immediately, 
turned on MTV because I oh, wasn't yeah. supposed to watch MTV. It's probably oh, yeah. hoping I'd get to see something I wasn't supposed to see because it's supposed here. to be so bad. And then I remember <laughs> thinking, like, when am I going to get to see this stuff I'm not supposed to see because nothing here is that bad. <laughs> but a U2 song came on. Mm. Remember the song Far Away, So Close? It's not one of their biggest hits by far, but there's this video, and I think Bono is standing on this giant angel in angel statue in Germany somewhere. Mm, yeah. And I was like, what? I was like, I feel sad and happy all at the same time. And and I was like, and then I, I was like, okay. Because I kind of I kind of made my mind up that people who listen to rock and roll music were weird. I remember mm. like kids at the store with rat tails and uh <laughs> i know what you mean <laughs> you know with rat tail. i mean we're in the south so it's like rat tails and like cut off yeah jean, jean jackets yeah 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 which was not cool in the 90s it's all that is like really cool now minus the rat tail i guess right. i don't know somebody could do that too <laughs> but i remember thinking these guys are kind of gross and weird and you know they were kind of rednecks and not fun to be around and kind of mean. And I thought, this is rock and roll. I don't want to have anything to do with this. But I think I saw that video and I was like, okay, we're doing this. I'm officially bought in. Yes. And then I made good friends with a buddy at school. Um, I had a really hard time in junior high, a really hard time. Mm. When I started junior high, I was really insecure. I was very much afraid of the other kids and I got picked on a lot, which every kid did. I realized later on everyone, mm. everyone just gets destroyed in middle school. Yeah. Right. Everybody. It's like, no, no one gets out, um, gets out of it. And, um, I was just kind of being destroyed. I didn't really know what to do. My friend group from the previous years were not the best friends or, or we didn't have the best relationship at the time. And I felt like I didn't, uh, fit in I was I was kind of a chunky kid and people would make fun of me for being overweight and mm. I was scared to talk to girls you know the whole thing right sure insecurities and fear and I met a kid I met another kid in band class his name was Craig and he seemed to me to be fearless like he was his own person. He was the most unique person. He didn't like what everyone else liked. He liked what he liked and he didn't apologize for it. And he and I became friends and he would stand up for me and I would stand up for him. And he was really into the movie, the crow. Great and Great he introduced me to all sorts of rock and roll music and comic books and a lot of the things that I love today. And he and I were buddies and he's all I needed, right? He was my one good friend, but we looked out for each other. And yeah. I think something about his fearlessness, right, made me, you know, want to be like him. And I looked up to him. And so he introduced me to hundreds of bands that summer. And then, um, you know, then the, the CD burning thing happened. And um, you could listen to hundreds of bands because because in the in the mid 90s i don't know when did when the cd burning thing that's late 90s right probably mid to late 90s yeah yeah because before that you had to spend like 18 dollars to get a cd 16 dollars, and then they had like media play and best buy where you could maybe get them for like 11 or 12 bucks yeah 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 but 13 would have been a good deal and if you don't have one of those big box stores you're definitely paying 16 17 18 dollars <laughs> it's true and so 
And that's in 90s money. I looked this up recently. In 90s money, a $1 today is worth $2 back then. So we say $18. Wow. It's really like 40 bucks. So like for a kid, a 12, 13, 14-year-old to go to the store, it's been $40 to get 11 songs. It's a fortune. It's a fortune. It is a fortune. And when I got a job, I was able to afford it. But when the gates opened and you could burn CDs and it was mm. just like a gold rush. Mm-hmm. And I was being introduced to all these new bands. Um, so many that I can't even I can't even think of them all. It was just it was just outrageous, right? Yeah, that's amazing. You know, the opportunity. Um, so that's really, I guess, how I got into music. That's kind of the short, the short version. Did you, when you were listening to this, obviously you two, you said influenced you. Yep. Did you pick up a guitar and say, you know, like you said, I get it. I buy in. Yep. Um, when you pick up that guitar, did you feel like you were writing something that you felt like, oh, wow, this is cool. This is awesome. Or were you, was it, was it a, a, a long process to, to be able to write songs? Yeah, it was a very long process. So for me, I really didn't pick up a guitar till my late teens. Um, my buddy, Mark Mathis. Do you know Mark? I know the name yep. from John he's, and James. Yep. Jay, yeah, they played with him some. He's Charlotte local and just, he's an incredible songwriter. And he's also one of my like childhood best friends. He came over one day and he had a red Squire Stratocaster and a PV Rage amp. And he could play songs from the radio. And it blew my mind. Because up till this so, point, I'd never been to a show. I'd never been to a concert. Wow. So it's too young. You you kind of had to be a little bit older or you had to have somebody to take you. My parents weren't going to drop a 14-year-old off at a concert. And they were still, they were coming around, you know, to to, to the culturally, right? Sure, sure. Um, at, but, but they still weren't like excited um, about dropping one of their kids off to see like Alice in Chains. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, so I didn't get to go to shows. I didn't grow up going to shows. So... The only music I'd heard at this point is in church, you know, and usually simple choruses and, you know, in church music doesn't have to be good, especially yeah. back then. It's more just like you just do it and it's not about how good it is. And so sometimes it wasn't good and you're just playing these chords, hearing people play these chords and sing bad. And um, he came over and could actually play songs on the radio. And I thought that was impossible that anyone wow. could do that. Other than only these like select few geniuses could play those songs, and he was playing them, and they sounded like the radio. Wow! And they were the day I was like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "If he can do it, maybe I can do it." And I begged him to teach me how to play some of the songs. He's playing like Weezer and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and REM, and I'm just like, I have to be a part of this. I was like, because sports didn't work out for me. I need a thing, right? I need something to impress people, to impress girls and to have something to do. And I loved music. And I was like, you can do it. Maybe I can kind of do it too. And I begged him to teach me how to play yellow lead better on the guitar. Wow. And he didn't, he didn't. Also, it's a pretty complex song and he kind of learned it by ear. I don't know that he could have taught me even if he wanted to, but I started playing and he and I started a band and the, the band, you know, your kids, it, it didn't work out. We started sure. multiple bands. None of them worked out. And I think there's a point where I was like, if I'm going to be in a band, I guess it's got to be my band. I really didn't want to be a front man. I didn't want to be a singer or a songwriter. Interesting. I wanted to just be in a band. That was how you were part of a community. Sure. 
you know, and that's what I guess like being in a band is what, you know, kids now see as being a YouTuber. It's like, I guess it's what everybody wanted to do. Yeah. I, you know, all of my friends dreamed about being in a band. And so I wanted to be in a band. I just want to be a part of something that I thought mattered and was exciting. And sure. Um, so it's not that I didn't like the music, but it just wasn't, I don't know. Um, it was more about being with people. And yeah. I realized at yeah. a point that, um, it may never work for me if I don't start my own band because these bands just kept breaking up. I was like, I guess if I have my own thing, then I'll, you know, I, I can make it last. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> right. And so I then that. I started writing songs at that point and they weren't very good. They really, really weren't very good. What, did so, you, were you, were you playing live at all or were you just playing them in your, in your bedroom? We played live. So I did play live with the guy several times. We played in what, is now the evening muse but back then it was the coffee shop and we played in a bunch of venues on that street which was really um like you're talking 30 years ago so the gentrification is like on mm. is like next level after 30 years sure. so it was like it it was nuts there used to be a place there called fat city which is the way i remember it's kind of like a waffle house with a bunch of like sofas outside that just got rained on <laughs> right and it was open all night, as far as I could tell. And they had live music every single night. And I remember going there and listening to music, not knowing who was playing. There's no internet. There's no way to look it up. I guess yeah. you can't call. I guess, you know, you could maybe call and be like, yo, who's playing tonight? But it wouldn't matter. You wouldn't recognize their name. So we just go. Sure. And we played a bunch of those venues. But mostly as a, um, I was mostly a rhythm guitar player or maybe a drummer at one point for a minute. Um, and then... Um, I would do like open mic nights and play like Bob Marley covers, <laughs> you know, I don't know how that would go over now, you know, white guy singing redemption song, but Where's back the then, dreads, bro? Uh, no, it was everything, everything to me. I'm still a massive Bob Marley fan. He's great. But I really started singing. So I, you know, I, I kind of, as a young person, I dealt with depression mm. a lot and anxiety and I didn't know what to call it back then. And um, there was something about, there was, <laughs> this sounds silly to say, uh, silly because of how flippant it sounds, but there's something about God and church that was really good for me, mm. you know? And I don't say that, I, I, I don't know why, but I feel like I've got to say I, I'm still a Christian, like I still love God, right? Yeah, yeah. But looking back, I, I think that it, it was really good initially for my depression and anxiety i'm sure it was and i think it it filled among other things it it filled a, a little bit of my need for that sort of community and sure. so i i i started i started going to a ministry school not because i wanted to do ministry but really just because i wanted to be with <laughs> the ministry school students who were my age yeah because they like to talk about god and existential things and they were you know, they'd go around town with acoustic guitars and sing songs they wrote on the street corner. And there was opportunity to be a part of something. So in order to be on the stage, I had to write my own song. So initially wow. I started to write my own songs to be part of the group. You know, like I, I think you're, you're supposed to write songs just because you love God. And I think that's what I was, I thought I was doing. But looking back, I think mostly I just wanted to be, be part of what was happening. Right. Yeah. So started writing my songs and 
the truth is like I um people didn't care much about mm. my songs. They didn't notice. I think because my dad was pastor, I was able to kind of get in and be a part of the group a little bit. Yeah. But nobody cared about my songs until I went through this um I was in a relationship with this girl and we broke up and and I uh got really really depressed. Mm. And I couldn't sleep. And I was living with my buddy Mark. And uh, his grandmother moved out of her house and we moved in to kind of keep the house up. So the house didn't go into disrepair. Right. And so she said we could live there if we paid the utilities and we took care of it. And so I had essentially a free place to live, but I didn't have a job Mm -hmm. and I didn't have, I don't know if I had a car. Um, And so I didn't have anywhere to go. And I stayed up really late. <laughs> I stayed up really late because I couldn't sleep. And I would and I would sit on the porch and I would write songs. Yeah. And mostly I would write songs just because I was so sad and totally. pathetic. But I learned in those moments, like I, I think before that I was writing songs that I thought other people wanted to hear. I was writing songs that I thought would like open the door for me to be a part of this social group that I thought I needed to be a part of. Yeah. And I didn't think that there was anybody who was ever going to hear these songs. These songs were just songs that I wrote for me and God. Wow. And what's really interesting is people started to notice those songs, you know, like I had some guys who were staying with us and I'd play them one of the songs and you could just tell, you you can tell when someone cares and when they don't. Sure. Right. And I could see the lights going. I'd be like, oh, you care about this song. Like they're asking questions about the song. They're like, oh, cool. They're like, well, oh, what are you saying here? And you could tell they, you know, I don't want to use the word impressed because it wasn't like it was technically better than anything I'd written before. But they, there seemed to be something in those songs that seemed to matter. Yeah. And I think what it was looking back is that. I had learned how in that season, because it's not like I was a better musician or singer or anything, but in that season, I had learned how to write a song that mattered to me. And when wow. you when you figure out what matters to you, oftentimes you'll find that it matters to other people, or at least it'll carry the weight of something sure. that's going to matter to other people because they'll feel that in it. Absolutely. And so I learned that time in life I began to learn like, what is it supposed to feel like when you write a good song? Yeah. And I wouldn't kind of put a song out into the world or hardly play it for anyone until I felt the feeling that I know that I knew it was supposed to feel like. Mm. So initially it was just chasing that feeling, which was just kind of weightiness, something that mattered. Yeah. Do the words make me feel like this matters. Does this have any real weight to it or, and so that's kind of, that's really where I learned how to write songs, just in the middle that's of the awesome. night. That's cool, though. Yeah. I mean, like, that's profound, really, if you think about it. And the fact that, like, you're, you know, you're you're in a pr- place of, um, you know, frustration, anxiety. And, of course, you know, like, you know, with, like, anyone else, when you're in the pit and the, in the despair of it yeah. all, that's when the beauty comes out, you know. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's cool that, I mean that you acknowledge that and the fact that you, you know, you look back, wow, that's where I learned all this. This is where I learned to do that. It's cool that you, you know, looking back, it's kind of shaped who you are as a songwriter, you know, really. Yeah. Think, so that's awesome. Well, 
And I, I honestly think that's the like number one mistake people make when they want to set out to be an artist is that I think they oftentimes make stuff they think people want. Sure. Sure. And people, the truth is like, and I don't mean this in a mean way, like I'm this way too. Like people don't really know what they want until you show it to them. Yeah. And so sometimes you got to figure out what you want and what matters to you. And if you can articulate what matters to you, you'll be surprised at how it connects with other people. Absolutely. Not everyone because nobody connects with everyone, but the best chance you have of connecting with someone else is figuring out what matters to you first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you start writing the songs. Do you start to work on an album, a Hope Anthology Volume 1? Is that kind of how it happened? Maybe kind of talk, talk me through that. Yep, yep. Those are the songs that became Hope Anthology, um, which is funny. I went back and listened to those songs the other day, and they're so, like, young. Do you cringe? Do you cringe? <laughs> a little bit of cringe, yeah. But you could tell that I meant it, you know. Yeah, and the, totally. And the recording, was that, that was the first time I'd ever done any sort of recording. So I don't know that those songs were captured the way that maybe really showed how, you know, the potential that the songs really had. Sure. This is my very first recording ever. I mean, we didn't have technology back then. It, what's, what's interesting is we used really good gear, um, but we didn't know how to, like, edit. Mm. So the songs are mostly mostly performed, right? Wow. Like, they're multi-track. It's not live, but we punched in vocals and stuff like that. We didn't have vocal tuning and it's really yeah. like um an old school album that's cool you know, like the way they made records um a lot of the records that i love you know um but yeah a lot of those songs became hope anthology when you when you look back on that time i, I know you say you kind of listen to it and you and you kind of chuckle about it i mean you were you know obviously starting out at that point but how do you feel about about that record looking back i mean i it's like looking at baby pictures where I'm like, oh, that's definitely me. It's hard for me to listen to it, though. Mm. It's hard for me. It's honestly, it's a little hard for me to listen to any of my records, though, except for the one I'm working on at the time. Yeah. It's a little bit that. hard, I think, because you you always hear like, oh, I should have done this. Or, oh, I should have done that. Yeah. That album is nostalgic, though. I hear it, and I feel 22. That's awesome. You that's know. Amazing. You know, but I, that one's, that's one of the ones that's not on the streaming platforms though, just cause I just don't know that it was quite ready. I get it. That that baby John Mark was ready to. It's, you know. it's the little league. It's the minor yeah. league. <laughs> not ready it for is. the majors. Well, so I do want to ask you though, did, it obviously gave you the confidence to record another record. So there had to be yep. some, some sort of. Um, you know, something that you could uh, spring off of, if you will. Yep. Um, so, you know, like, so what, I guess what gave you the confidence after that, putting that record out to to work on your next record, the song Inside the Sounds of Breaking Down? Let, let's talk about kind yeah, of that totally. and then let's talk about that record. Yep. So I, I ended up getting married after I put out um, Hope Anthology to another girl, not the girl who broke up with me. <laughs> Um, but I ended up getting married to my wife now, Sarah. And, um, for a, for a while before I got married, I I tried to do the full-time artist thing and sell CDs and it would work for a little while, you know, because the awesome thing about having a CD is you could go out and sell like, you know, a hundred of them and make $1,500. Right. So in the, in the early two thousands, like, 
I could, I could live off that for a month. Yeah. Um, and so I did that, but then it would dry up and you'd go months without it and you just couldn't, you know? So I ended up, I ended up getting a job. I, I, I tried to get a couple of jobs. I did construction for a while. Then I was kind of a youth pastor for a minute, and I was not very good as a youth pastor. <laughs> I wasn't a I wasn't bad in the moral sense, you know, like no, I get you know, it. you hear all kind of terrible stories, but I was just not good at getting kids to want to show up and do <laughs> stuff. I think some of the kids liked me, but um oops. Did I, I did see. you lose? No, my I see video? I hear you. Yeah, I lost your video, but I hear you. So oh, I wonder what happened. Sorry, let me see what's going on here. Give me one second. No. Yeah, no worries. This is the problem with like really good technologies. It's there all it kind of like... There you're back. You're back. Yep. You're good. So, yeah, I, I, was not a, I was not a very skilled youth pastor. But I, I, I think I really, I think really the church wanted... Um, wanted me to be a worship leader and they just didn't have a place for me. Sure. As a worship leader. So it's kind of youth pastor. And then I ended up recording. So I, I ended during that season is when I started to gather new songs and have a bunch of new songs and, um, and lost a video again. Do you it's want me to okay. just keep going? Yeah, just yeah. keep going. Just keep yeah. going. So um, I realized that I was not really, being a youth pastor was not really the best thing for me and I wasn't the best thing for them, but I didn't know what else to do. So I ended up recording. I decided, um, I borrowed a little bit of money and, uh, cause back then it cost cost money to do an album. Sure. And we did the song inside the sounds. And, um, that was, that was when I started to feel like maybe I could do this for a living. Mm, wow. When I released that, the the response to that was was um, for at the time, you know, coming from n- nothing, right? Like I didn't have a recording contract, I didn't have, I didn't have anything, um, and, and there was a response. And so my wife and I decided we we're going to leave our jobs, and we were going to travel around the country in a van. I bought a van, mm. and we we're going to travel around the country in a van. And we were going to play music and see if we could make a living doing this music thing. So we did. I, Because I had met a bunch of people in ministry school, they all moved back to where they were from all over the country, right? Mm-hmm. And I kept in touch with a lot of these people. And I would go play shows at their churches, their houses, their youth groups. Uh, yeah. You know, just – and I, I just got on the phone and made calls. Yeah. Right? I, I mailed a bunch of CDs out you know, a couple hundred CDs. I just, anybody who maybe mattered, I mailed them a CD and had my information on it. And we had a little email that we said our assistant checked, but it was really us. Yeah. And, um, and we did, it worked, it worked really well for a while. Yeah. Um, and we got to the point where uh, my wife and I were having a baby Mm -hmm. and I was like, we're just kind of scraping by. Right. And it was fun, but all of a sudden I felt this pressure. Like I got to do more. I don't know how we're going to travel. Sure. In a van with a baby, you know, and um, 
And so I had, I had, I had saved most of the money from the sales of song inside the sounds. I'd saved most of the money. And, um, I used that money to record the medicine album. Wow. Wow. The initial version of the medicine album. And while I was recording the medicine album, it's, I started to feel more and more like I got to figure out what to do here because I don't know how to go to the, I don't know how to take this to the next level. Um, mm -hmm. we had, we had MySpace, right. And you had iTunes. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm adding 50 people a day on MySpace, right? <laughs> like get up early in the morning and add fi friend request 50 people. And I'm traveling around and we're selling some CDs, but like, I don't know how am I going to pay a band? How am I going to take care of my family? And sure. I just got to the point where I remember like praying and I was telling <laughs> Jesus that it's like, you got to do something for me or I'm going to have to go do something else. If you want me to do this. And at the time I felt called, like this is my yeah. vocation to like write and sing these songs. And um, so and then I remember getting, a, um, I started to get, um, I started to get messages from music industry people mm. in my MySpace, right? And it was always kind of the same. Back then, like, love to see you. if you're ever in Nashville, let me know, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I remember meeting a couple at like Cornerstone. And then I met, I played in a couple of events in Nashville. We were coming through Nashville, I played a couple of events there. And then I ended up meeting with one of the integrity guys. Yeah. And I remember everyone I talked to wanted me to do Christian radio. And mm. I was like, I just, I can't do it. Like I, I was like, if my songs work on Christian radio, that's fine, but I'm not going to re-record them sure. for Christian radio. And at that point, everybody wanted me to do that. And that was their only real marketing plan. They're going to get you on tour with some people and they're going to put you on the radio. Yeah. I was like, well, I just can't. This is not, not interested. And this, the way, I mean, it, it, it has to sound different, right? Sure. And I'm not even putting down people who do that, but that's not what I was doing. And no. it just it felt weird to like have this album full of songs and I'm going to take two and make them sound totally different. Yeah, totally. Right. And so um, Integrity was really the only company who's like, we'll let you make records however you want to make them. <laughs> I was like, I was like, really? However, and then the guy was like, well, you probably can't put, you know, nudity on your cover or anything. Like that. <laughs> but generally speaking, we'll make you, you can make the record you want to make. And so I ended up going with integrity, mostly from that one conversation. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, when you, so was a medicine already done when you joined integrity? Yes. Yeah, so the okay. medicine was it, okay. the medicine didn't have, there were four songs that were not on the medicine. Okay. And one of those was How He Loves. So I did. I re-recorded How He Loves for the medicine. Um, I want to ask you real quick. Let's back up just a tad. Yep. Um, I want to know your thoughts real quick before we get too far in the medicine. Sure. The song Inside the Sounds of Breaking Down, looking back on that, I just want to know your thoughts. Obviously, that was kind of a game changer for yeah, you yeah. somewhat. Um, the reception of it and, and kind of the success of How He Loves. What yeah. was that like for you? Uh, was it a whirlwind? Was it something that you just obviously didn't see coming was, and then when you saw it, saw the wave, how, you know, how was it? Was it, was it overwhelming? Was it, I was just curious how you, how you felt yep. about that. 
Okay, so well, let me back up a little bit. I wrote How He Loves, and I put out How He Loves on the song Inside the Sound. And that was in, I want to say that was around 2005? Yeah. 04, 05? That was married, so it must have been 05. Um, I put that out in 05, and How He Loves was on that. So I'd written How He Loves uh, two years earlier, maybe three, after my friend died in a car accident. Mm. Um, and I sang that song a lot. For, for a little while and it was really those our church community we wrote all our own songs and yeah so I, that was one we sang a lot especially in that season then i'd stopped singing it because i sang it for a year sure. two years and i wasn't even going to put it on the album on the song inside the sounds my wife made me do it wow she made me put on them not because i didn't like it i just and i'm glad i listened to her i'm glad i did it <laughs> so put it did. on the are. album at the time um so I, th- I believe the way it happened was at the time my sister-in-law had become good friends with Kim Walker mm. and she had come to visit us. She might've been even maybe she's in her early twenties or late teens, maybe even she's singing backup. And she came out to the church we were, um, we were at and uh, she for like a summer or something and hung out with my sister-in-law and sang and she led worship some, and we were singing the song during that time. And she took the song back to her church on the, on the West coast. And then, so she started kind of singing it. And at the same time, we recorded the song Inside the Sounds. I I think I just recorded it. And one of John Duke's friends, I can't remember who it was. was, I can't remember who it was, but they were going to record another song. And John Duke's like, no, don't record that song. Record this song, How He Loves. And the guy's like, really? So he recorded it. And then he gave that version to David Crowder, and then David wow. Crowder wanted to record it. So Kim started singing it. And that was around the same time the Jesus culture thing started to become sure. popular. I, I think the way that story goes is that we we had uh, I sang that song at a big event called The Call in Nashville in 2007. And they I um I don't want to say anything bad about them, but I was just kind of done with like big conference no, and I get it. stuff. I get it. I don't like it. You know, no one mistreated me or anything. I just don't vibe with it. It's not your bag, baby. It's not. Yeah, so I moved on. And they asked me to come and sing that song at another thing in um, Vegas. And I told them I I politely declined. And so they came back and said, is it okay if Kim sings it then? So she sang it, and there's a video, and that video blew up. So the video blew up, and David Crowder heard the song, and I think they watched someone out there watches how songs are doing, right? The star yeah. the, there's a song that's coming up and no one recognizes the songwriter. It's not on an album, a major album. It's not on the radio, but churches are singing it. So they think that's a big deal. And they watch those songs and, and they're like, well, no one popular has recorded this song yet. So they brought it to David Crowder and he wanted to record the song. Initially, he sent me an email saying he wanted to record it, but he wanted to change the lyric. And I told him he mm. could not. I yeah. said, thanks, man. I'm a big fan, but no, I don't want to change the lyrics. So then he wrote it. Then he wrote me back a, a couple of months later. It's like, hey, what if we rewrote the lyric together? I was like, all right, well, let me think about it. So I thought of some um, different lyric options for the lyric he was talking about. Sure. And then I hit him back. He's like, oh, man, I already recorded it. I hope that's cool. And at that point, I was like, you know, like, 
this is years after the song. I didn't think I'd ever play or sing this song again. Yeah. Right? Once again, not putting the song down. I have to be careful because it song means a lot to sure. some people. But, sure. you know, as an artist, like, like, like anybody who does anything, like I sang that song every night for years and I was just sort of ready to move on. Sure. It wasn't like a hit song necessarily. It was just yeah. a song that I wrote and liked. And then it's like the season was over. So I was like, all right, fine. I don't care if he changes the line. He can, he can have the song, not have the song, but you know, he can yeah. do what he wants to with it. I've done what I wanted to with it. And anyway, so the the combination of those couple of things, um, I think with Kim singing it and becoming kind of a popular song on the West coast and then David Crowder recording it and becoming a big radio hit for him, um, uh, made the song big. And then all of a sudden people wanted to know what the song was about and they came back to me. And anyway, so integrity wanted me to re-record the song okay, and put it on the medicine. So that's kind of how that happened. So I guess you ask about the wave. It, it really was kind of, it was a very slow wave mm. to a lot of people. It seemed like it happened really fast, but it was probably six or eight years after I wrote the song that it hit. Wow. That's a long so if time. I, I think I wrote it in 2002, it was 2002 or 2003. It didn't really hit until probably 2009, 2010. That's crazy. So almost a decade later. So it was kind of a slow, it was one of those things where like, it seems like an overnight like phenomenon, but it was like almost slow a burn. decade. Slow burn. Yeah. That's cool. So real quick, briefly, Looking back on it, obviously that that kind of that song kind of changed your life in in a in a, a an amazing way. But how, looking back on that record, how do you how do you feel about it? Uh, the song inside the sound or the medicine? The, sorry, the song inside the sound. And we'll do the medicine next. Yeah, yeah. Mostly, I really like it. I we were ambitious and it was fun, and I love how truly indie that record is. It's yeah. so nasty, yeah, in the best ways. It's it's like we recorded that in a woodshed. Literally, cool. it's a woodshed. You could see light through the walls. That's uh, cool. But we could we put mics all over the um, all over this huge room, you know, in the wood shop, and we got this crazy sounds, and we did all sorts of just crazy stuff. I go back and listen to it, and uh, it's really um, it's really nostalgic to listen to. Um, there's some of the songs I'm like, oh, okay, that lyric or whatever, you know, it's, <laughs> I get it. You know. I get it. I get it. But, well, that's cool. Um, you, so, okay. Record comes out. Integrity yep. music says, Hey, John Mark, you can do whatever you want. So you start the record. Like you said, the medicine's pretty much done except for a couple songs. How does, how does the recording for the medicine go? Um, what are some thoughts, memories from that time? Um, and again, for me, pivotal yep. record um, for me. Just want, I want to know your thoughts on it as well and, and kind of just maybe go over that record a little bit. Sure. Um, and the way I remember it is we spent a while on it. Um, we spent a lot more time on albums back yeah. in those days, uh, partly because we didn't know what we were doing and partly because we just wanted it to be good. And so I, remember, I think we did the initial tracking for that uh, song almost live. Wow. So we had the, we had the, uh, we had Al Sergal on the drums and Andy Kurzweil on the bass and James on the guitar all at the same time. And Crazy. I, 
I had like an acoustic guitar and a microphone in the other room and I overdubbed my vocals and acoustic. We overdubbed a lot, but I think the initial tracks were essentially kind of live. That's cool. Um, and so, uh, that's the first time I'd done anything like that before, which was a lot of fun. And I remember it being super inspiring because you hear the other, you know, players. Totally. And then you vibe on, on what they're doing. I didn't have all the lyrics done for the album, so I mumbled a lot of it. Mm. And we had to say, okay, I think there's going to be a bridge here. So everybody play like there's a bridge here. Mm. Um, uh, we, man, we did that in multiple sessions. Um, I'm, I'm pretty fuzzy about that whole thing. We tracked that at a studio out in the country. Um, it's in a nature preserve. So we're surrounded cool. by trees. It's like a hundred year old, um, building. There used to be this, um, uh, this textile plant and it was like the office for the textile plant a hundred <laughs> years awesome. ago. And so it was just antique wood everywhere. And does that inspire um, you? You think? I think so. It sounds like, I mean, what you're saying, it, I mean, it totally sounds like you just got in there and just jammed and or, I mean, like, and it just came out perfect. You know? We did. We did. I mean, I mean, we definitely had to fight for it. There are times when I didn't know if 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 things were going to work. Um, but yeah, it, it man, the way I remember it, we really sort of discovered it as a group. It's me and James and Elijah, the producer. Um, man, but I, I, it's funny thinking back how little memory I have of doing that album. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. How do you feel about it looking back on it? I, uh, you know, I know it obviously did a lot for a lot of people. So yep. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on it um, looking back on it now. Yeah. I listened to it uh, not long ago. And uh, I, <laughs> I remember listening to like Skeleton Bones. I'm like, why are we playing this part that many times? <laughs> and that's what I mean as we were figuring out. I was like, now we kind of know. You're like, it's intuitive. Like you played the course this many times. If you get bored, you don't play it again. Sure. Sure. Right. But we also weren't much into editing either. We weren't heavy into editing. So if we played it and we were too exhausted to play it again, we're like, Oh, that's it. Yeah. So it is funny looking back at some of the, um, the, the compositional decisions or maybe compositional isn't the word, but the arrangement. Sure. It's like that, that was interesting, but there's just something cool about it there's something really wild yeah about it and and that's what i that's what i always wanted there's something wild that felt a little bit dangerous like almost like the the train was gonna come off the tracks at any point yeah. but that it was a really exciting train to be on absolutely right not something that was defunct but something that was maybe so powerful it was gonna fall apart at any moment yeah yeah and um we were uh we were I mean, we were listening to like uh, the Killers and the White Stripes and My Morning Jacket. And I can hear all of that in that band yeah. of horses and all of those types of bands, Kings of Leon, and so we, you know we wanted it to uh, be kind of dangerous. Absolutely, and I can yeah. see all those influences. And now that you said that, in, in that record for sure. That's we worked awful. really we worked really hard on tones also. Yeah. Like we never just walked up and just did the standard thing. That's cool. We worked really, really hard on tones. If you listen back, like the drums sound unique and the guitars sound 
unique. There are times the vocals sound super unique. Sometimes I like, man, I wish I'd have spent as much time on the vocals as we did on drums and guitars. Yeah. You know, but part of it is because I hadn't finished my lyrics and there was a moment when I was like, we just got to finish this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And since I have the lyric, finally, let's just do it. I'd be nice if I had the lyrics beforehand, be like, let me sing this four or five times and let's like really like make it sound good. Yeah. But. Well, I think it's a fantastic record. Thank I truly you. mean that. I, I I listened to it the other day because I knew we were going to do this, and I was that's. I mean, all of them I love, but that's the one that's just always kind of been my go-to. And and I listened to it, and I just love how raw and and I don't know. It just sounds incredible to me. I love how you know you describing it. It makes sense to me why you did the things you did and the way it sounds and how it kind of you know, just came together. And I think it's cool yeah. now that hearing that now, it's just like, it's a, I'm going to listen to it now and, and think of it in a different way and in a good way. But, um, amazing record. Thank you so much for Thanks. being out. Yeah. I, I really, really love it. Um, so sweet. Um, Dagum comes out, uh, then you start to kind of work on economy, correct? And, and yep. you, you did that with Griff, right? I did. Yep. Yeah. I love Griff. I do too, man. Dude, such a smart and funny and talented guy. He is such a presence, man. I know he is. So Economy is the record that um, I always look at it as kind of the one that got away, right? Yeah, I can see that. So here's what happened with Economy. I, I feel like those other two records I had so much confidence, right? Yeah. Because it, I've never been the person who's like, everyone in the world needs to see me. I'm a great performer and I deserve to be heard by everybody. I don't mean that in a way, you know, like some people just confident. Some people know they're the best. And they're like, they're like, I know I'm the best. I know if you listen to me, you're going to like what you hear and you're going to want to, you know, enjoy my music. I never felt like that person. I always felt like I love music. I love writing. And I was just grateful that I could make a sound come out of my mouth. Right. Totally. And so it was easy to have confidence when I'm with all of my friends that I grew up with. We're recording out in the woods in North Carolina in a wood shop or at a textile mill and, um, and I'm in control and it's easy to have confidence. But I think that, I think I got really intimidated um, when we started doing the economy record. Hmm. So for one, it's like when you're on a label, you if you haven't really proven yourself, you got to like show them the songs. I never did demos. Mm. So I had voice memos. Literally I sent them voice memos from my phone is what I sent them for demos. And finally they're like, well, all right, let's go do it then. You know, (laughs) I, um, I'd had a little bit of a falling out with the producer of the medicine. Mm. And, um, so I was looking for someone else and Griff is a really good friend of James and John and John was playing with me at the time. And, um, and so I went to work with him in Atlanta and he's incredible. He really is incredible. I think though, I was so intimidated though. There were times I really didn't push when I think I should have not Mm -hmm. that he was doing anything wrong. I think producers want an artist to have opinions. Sure. Cause that's in a lot of ways, that's a producer's job, right? Just to have opinions. And, they get worn out after a while having to make all the crave decisions. But I was, there were times I should have pushed and been like, I really want to do this. I want it to sound this way. I want this to happen. Yeah. And I don't think I did. Cause Mm -hmm. number one, I was so, um, I was intimidated and also it was so much work getting there. Right. You have to like 
if you want the studio, you got to book the studio. I mean, you got to like put money down. You got to, yeah. so I got to go to the label people and I got to say, okay, I want to do an album. Here's why I want to do it. I'm going to need this much. And they start negotiating. It takes literally 10 times as long as when I just call up the studio and be like, Hey, I want to book the studio. What dates do you have? They're like, well, you got these dates. It'll be this much. I'm like, okay, here, yeah. that's, that's one phone call, not even five minutes. Yeah. But when it's, when it's the label people, I got to be like, Hey, all right, I want to go do it. I want to go do it here. And they're like, how much is it? This much? They're like, ah, you think you could talk them down? Or you think, what? you know, it's like back and forth. And I'm like, can I get the money by this date? Can, you know, and it just, it was so much work getting up to zero. Mm. Right. And I wasn't used to that. There's better ways to do it than I did it. Now I can do it a lot better than I did back then. But it was like, I used most of my creative energy just to get everybody in the room. Yeah. So we're in the room and I'm intimidated because I'm playing with all these people who are way better than me. We're not in the woods of North Carolina anymore. We're in Atlanta at the studio where Prince wrote Purple Rain. Crazy. And I'm just like, I, I'm trying. We're out. We're four hours from home. And so the guys are getting to the point where they um, – they just want to do their parts and go home because they got to drive four hours back home. And it, it's, it starts to feel like a job, mm. right? It's like a job and, and everybody is um, exhausted and you just, it's, you just didn't feel that energy when we were recording the medicine. Everyone's like, I don't know what's happening. Mm. Something is happening. Sure. Three recorded economy. It was a great album. Jeremy produced a great, you know, a bunch of songs and he mixed them and they sound great. And, but, it, and it was like, it's not like I dislike anything on that. It's just like, I feel like we got it up to about a six and a half, seven. And mm. I should have pushed to get it up to a 10, to yeah. a nine and a half and a 10. But I was so exhausted at that point. And I don't know that I had it in me. I also feel like I probably alienated the band guys a little bit too. Yeah, because I was making all the decisions. So it was kind of a band album, but the band guys had also realized like, why are we going to give John Mark all our best ideas? We're just getting paid per day to play on this. Yeah. And um, when, when people really believe in something, they'll show up and bring their best. But I think we, at, we really sort of began to get into this like professional mentality. Mm-hmm. And some of it's because they had kids. And I had kid, I had a kid at that point and we had responsibilities and all of a sudden it's like, there are things that matter more than making cool sounds on an album. Yeah. And so it was so much more work to get up to where it felt like we started with the medicine. Yeah. You know? Um, and so that album was like one of the albums with some really great ideas and some really great songs that I feel sure. like deserved about two more months worth of work and I needed to just be more like I want to do something else. I think also I wanted to put it out and just have it out in the world because I thought I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. And then not to mention while we were recording the album, my A&R guy drove up and told us that the record company Uh, was bankrupt. I was going to bring that up. That's what I had heard. Which is ironic that we called the album Economy. (laughs) And it's ironic that I ended up paying for it myself. Oh, wow. Because I spent all that time trying to, like, get the the record company. They ended up paying me back eventually. Right? But then then that was was really when you asked why I left Integrity. 
wasn't because I was down on integrity, but I think after I paid for that album, I was like, so I paid for the album and I got the album done, but I had to ask you guys and I had to jump through the hoops and I had really yeah. good people there. I really liked it to this day. One of my favorite people is the, was my old A&R guy. He's, I, I love him. He's great. And I learned a lot from him. And when I have music industry questions, I'll call him and pick his brain. Right. Cause he's, he's great. And, but I was like, why am I jumping through all these hoops? Why is it so hard to get up to zero? And I ended up paying for it out mm. of my own pocket. I was like, I'll just go back to <laughs> paying for it myself. Totally. So it's like, you know, it's the worst case scenario. I got to ask a bunch of opinions and do a bunch of meetings and spend my money. Cut the third man out, dude. I know. And that's kind of how I started to think. I think after that, I got a little bit sideways on the whole label thing no and no i don't I, yeah I absolutely like, why am i doing this there also was some weird stuff going on people were integrity got bought by a bigger company and i think there are some people leaving integrity who are also like looking back i didn't realize this was going on maybe people were leaving who were like maybe i could take some mm. people with me i don't know i, I no one ever sure. i don't know um, but well, a lot so of integrity. Got, got, <laughs> so I know. Well, integrity got bought by a book company, and I was like the first album they released. And everyone's like, oh, man, this is going to suck, bro, because they're a book company. They don't know how to market music. And, um, and so it, it didn't go super well. And so we all, we all parted ways. They were happy to keep some good publishing, and I was happy to be out on yeah, my own. Yeah, the freedom. My own thing. Absolutely. But, but that was hard. That was a really, really hard time. I thought I might be just done with music at that point. Wow. I thought I might not be making albums again. Wow. Then I had a, a little bit of a falling out for a minute with with the guys in the band mm. um, for a number of reasons. One is that whole season was so exhausting for everybody. Sure. And I pushed everybody really hard. We were also touring. I remember telling my wife, I was like, man, I was so exhausted in those days. I don't remember moving into our new house. And she's like, it's because you didn't. Wow. She's like, you were on tour. And I was, I had a, <laughs> I had a, I had a baby and was pregnant. And I moved, I moved houses without you because you were on tour. Wow. That's the way it was back then because I thought I was, um, I'd like to save your complex. The world needs my music. Mm. Right. I mean, that's probably fine. I think young people should feel that way, that what they're doing matters. Sure. But all of a sudden, we all have kids at home. We're driving around in a van all over the country. And some of the guys in the band had done some big worship stuff. Mm -hmm. where they got to fly on airplanes and, you know, stay in the lounge and ride on tour buses. And I think they were like, well, John Mark left Integrity. He doesn't want to do this worship leader thing anymore. We're playing these dirty clubs and we're riding around in a van and i think they were like why are we doing this and i think maybe they for a minute maybe started to think well john mark just has a chip on his shoulder he just wants mm. to be a rock and roll guy and um and i think that they were sort of like they just didn't care mm -hmm. they were tired and um and you know like and, and looking back it's not fair for me to expect them to believe in what I am doing as much as I do. Sure. Because unfortunately, you know, they, they don't have the long-term residual, right? And I was too young to see that. I was like, why should I expect them to kill themselves to build my long-term career? Yeah. 
to sell albums and create publishing and long-term passive income. It really wasn't fair. In my mind, though, it was like, we're part of this movement. We're doing this thing, but we weren't really. Mm-hmm. It was, I think there was a lot of good that we were doing, but also I was like just super ambitious too. I wanted to prove myself and I probably pushed them, you know, pretty hard in order mm-hmm. to do it. And we've had some of those conversations. I remember Lee Worley played drums for me for a while and I remember apologizing to him. And he was like, man, you don't need to apologize. I was having the time of my life. It was a lot of fun. Sure. sure. It was a lot of fun. But there's a point where it's like if things didn't like um, change, how are we all going to like take care of all our kids? You're not talking about like one guy with kids. We're talking about like I had two kids. James had two kids. John had two, had two, two kids. kids. Yeah. Lee had three kids. A lot of mouths to feed. Yeah. A lot of mouths to feed. And we're driving around the country in a van and having a lot of fun. But it's a little bit, if you're not really making money, it's a little bit hard to come home and explain to your wife no, I get you know, why what you do matters. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think the band guys began to sort of lose, you know, maybe some of the fire. Sure. sure. You know. No, I get that. I get that. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's probably really tough to be um, in their position and your position as well. You know, you, you guys both want to be creative and both want to be excel at what you do. But like you said, they have different vision in terms of, you know, you're, you're kind of the, the front piece. And it's like I could understand – both sides of it totally. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm sure that was extremely hard for them and for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad, I'm glad things are better and, and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, you guys all learn some, something from that at some point, you know, just to kind of, yeah, you know, and, and bands are like relationships, they're messy, you know, yeah. but, you know, they have those times where you're just like, why the yeah. hell did I do that? Like, you know, yeah. you know, I mean, I hear those totally. podcasts all the time. Yeah. It's like, I was, I was, you know, I was selfish, you know, I did this yeah. that, or, you know, or, you know, whatever it may be. And it's just, yep. well, it's, also when you, when you're trying to accomplish something that's really difficult, totally. And you're not sleeping much, you're driving yeah. hours and hours a day. And then you, can't you think run clear. into, you can't think like you run yep. into conflict. And also you're still kind of young and haven't learned how to handle conflict. You haven't exactly. learned good tools. You just get angry. You say things that you may or may not mean. Yeah. And you, and you, um, and you, you handle things poorly and you sometimes people get hurt, Mm. you know? Um, Luckily though, I think I've, I've tried to fix all of that. That's good. That's great. And I don't know, looking back that it was, you know, that it was an uncommon mistake. Yeah. It seems to be pretty normal. Young people are not young people. I know some brilliant young people, but when people are younger, they tend to have less experience and tend to make more mistakes. Absolutely. And you, Absolutely. a lot of times you don't learn without making them. Sure. Absolutely, you know? man. And so, acknowledging that is half the battle. You know? Yeah, for sure. So I got a lot of grace for myself for those. That's days. great, man, man. We all deserve grace. You know? <laughs> Dude. So next record borderland, yep. you decided to put that out yourself. Great record. Love it. Fantastic. Yep. Thanks. Uh, maybe kind of uh, bring me through that. Uh, the, maybe some thoughts and memories from that time and, Kind of how you feel about that record now as well. Yeah, totally. So I was at that point after Economy, after I'd um, 
mostly let go of my band, I was sort of like, is, can I even do this again? I mean, the band was a big part of what I did, right? Sure. I'm not a great musician. Like, I wrote the songs, but but James and the guys brought a brought the vibe. Yeah. You know, they created, like, an incredible platform for those songs. Like, very unique, you know? And there was just something magical that James and I had for a while when we worked together. Yeah. It's just, like, incredibly fearless on the guitar. And I felt like we're very different people, but I felt like the way I approached the lyrics, it felt like that was the way he approached the guitar. Yeah, it was like, I, I want to make people feel something. I want to feel something. And James plays guitar like that, right? Like, you feel something when he plays. And I don't think he's comfortable playing if 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 he doesn't feel like you feel something in his playing, yeah. you know, he knows how to find that thing. And uh, so I, di I didn't know what, um, if I was going to be able to <laughs> do another album, you know, I didn't know. Um, and I had a handful of friends who came to me and like, I think you really should maybe not quit. Mm. One of them was the producer who produced the medicine. He was really, really kind. He, he came over and, he was like, what do you got? And I was like, I got these ideas, but none of them seem good. Hmm. And he helped me sort through those ideas. And he, um, he was like, actually, I think you do have something here. Wow. You just got nobody to tell you what to work on. He's like, don't work on this. That doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. This here is great. It's just the wrong groove. This here is cool, but what are you saying? So I got excited again about making music. And we sort of shifted. I was like, I, we had like who I thought was one of the best guitar players of all time. Mm. And we didn't have that anymore. We, that's not true. I was playing, I was playing with another guitar player. I don't want to put him down, mm -hmm. um, but Matt Pedesla is an incredible guitar player. He was, back then he was younger. He's a good bit younger than James. Sure. Um, and he, he began playing with me, but I didn't have the history with him, yeah. you know, so he played some, but I had had this history with James. And, and so I was like, I don't want to make another guitar album. So I was like, what are we going to do? I was like, all right, well, let's, let's, do something else and so let's um let's do keyboards let's do peter gabriel let's do maybe let's do you know springsteen from the 80s Love you it. know Love it. and that's really kind of how borderland happened is it was sort of like all of a sudden it was a new a new thing it's like how do we um reinvent yourself how, really yeah exactly yeah. which is really hard at first i think i was i was depressed when we were um, the day before going in the studio, I remember being depressed. Cause like, I don't know that this is ever going to be as good mm. as it was with the other guys. And I woke up the next morning and I felt this almost sense of freedom. Like, like it was almost like something in me was saying like, what you did with those guys was incredible, but also you were leaning on them, right? You were leaning on them. And, and what would it look like to do something that maybe you, couldn't have done back then yeah like or what you maybe would have been afraid to do back then or wouldn't do it's like why if you don't know what's going on let's do something cool with a guitar here because we have an incredible guitar player but if you didn't have an incredible guitar player maybe you would have tried something else sure and so all of a sudden i felt this sort of sense of freedom and we we tried a bunch of new stuff stuff i'd never done before it's a great record man dude thanks man thank love you love it absolutely love it um, how do you feel about it looking back on it? I still really love Borderland. Some of the songs, once again, it's 
I'm really picky, especially about my parts. Some of the songs listening back, I like, I like to re-sing those songs. I like to get a different <laughs> vocal sound on those songs. There's some songs where we, the production, I think, crowds out the vocal, and we either just turn the vocal down or mm. turn it up. And and now I've sort of realized, like, what I really need to do, I don't. The vocal doesn't have to be loud. You just have to clear some space for it. So, yeah. um, but I love it, man. There's some cool sounds on the album and some cool songs. And and that, that album was really the album where I realized, like, um, I don't have to be one thing. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can reinvent myself. Like, I, I actually can do it, you know? And that was, like, kind of the comeback album, right? That's cool. Yeah, so I, I, I really love that album. Yeah, that, it's great. Yeah. And like you said, Peter Gabriel, Bruce Springsteen, totally can hear yeah. it. I mean, it's totally... Oh yeah, absolutely, man. It, 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 you, when you, it seems like when you're influenced, obviously it, those, those sounds come out, but it's in a respectful way. It's not a rip yeah, off. Yeah. You know, it's something that, um, yeah, fantastic record, man. Yeah. I, lo- I love you. that record. Um, so after that record comes out and, and things are going good for you, I assume, you know, you feel kind of like you're touring and things are just clicking at that point with the, with the new band and everything. How's how's that going for you? Yep. Uh, that was at that point we had, um, my, my brother-in-law, what, I had both of my brother-in-laws were touring with me. One was singing backup, and the other was just kind of a crew guy, and I would let him sing his songs beforehand. And I started bringing him up to sing harmonies. And um, Steven? Steven? Steven. I yeah, love him. He's such I started a bringing him. He is, man. He really is. And so he kind of he started singing on more and more songs as the tour went on. And then towards the, the – the, um, not long afterward – his older brother Andrew was playing keys and singing. He decided he wanted to focus more on a career, and mm-hmm. so he quit the band. And Stephen was just there, so it's like, all right, well, Stephen, why don't you be the singer? He'd been on this multiple tours, doing crew and and opening, and and he already kind of knew all the songs. So Stephen started singing and uh, playing the banjo, and then he occasionally played the keyboard and then the mandolin and he just got more and more worked his way more and more into the whole thing. So Steven kind of became like a real important part of the band, but it was almost, um, by mistake, not by mistake, almost by accident. Wow. He just was a great guy and he's really talented and just worked his way into the band. It was, it was not planned. Right. Um, but that's been fantastic. Then Jeremy came on to play bass. I've known Jeremy since he was a teenager. Jeremy. Love Jeremy. Jeremy Radio, they call him online. <laughs> Jeremy Smith, and I had I'd played bass with Jeremy before, but he was Mark Mathis's bass player. Oh, that's this right. He before, that. yeah. This is before John Duke moved to North Carolina, and um, and so I needed the bass player at one point, and but I thought that Jeremy was part of Mark's band. I didn't want to. I was touring a lot, and Mark was touring less, and I felt like it, I don't want to take. It would and be there'd be some conflict. Sure. Sure. I didn't want to take him from Mark. But then Jeremy called me at one point. He's like, hey, man, um, how come you never asked me to play bass for you? And I was like, well, um, you're playing with Mark, and I don't want to take you from Mark. And he's like, man, he's like, we haven't played in a long time, and I don't know what it's going to be like. He's like, so <laughs> he's like, I'd love to play with you. That's so I was awesome. like, all right. So Jeremy came on. He's been on ever since. We've had a couple of different drummers. What's interesting now is the um, the drummer who's touring with me now, Al Sergal, is yeah. like one of the very first drummers I ever played with. He's the drummer from Song Aside the Sound. 
and the drummer from the medicine and one of the main drummers from borderland he's so good he is so good so that's really cool and that's been real interesting um having al out with us because it's the first time i've had anyone who's more than a couple years older than me mm-hmm. and um and i i love it man like al is um such a great big brother to me it's so cool you know i'm i'm especially after you know james and john are about my age yeah after they left most of the guys in the band are younger than me and so i'm the leader i'm like the like daddy uncle guy right i'm the one the like, all right guys the if somebody yeah i'm the one that's got to like watch out and, <laughs> all right guys and then if they need something if someone's having a hard time maybe they'll come ask me about life i don't know yeah yeah but like and and i have great conversations with him but it was really interesting having al like like he could talk theology he could talk family he's got grown-up kids now cool. he's uh been in music he's a jazz musician so he's toured like punk rock for his whole life and Crazy. he's done so much like so he's it's, it's great having him to talk to sweet on the road but yeah so yeah so the band has progressed but steven and jeremy have been the constants over yeah. the last they're both so good they're such great people yeah. too i Since love it 13 or 14 so really the last 10 years jeremy and steven have been sort of the the guys the rider dies that's yeah. cool man sweet dude well um so you start you decided to start Lionhawk. let's talk about yep. the label I, I, that's really cool and really ballsy if you will uh <laughs> and i mean that in the most respectful oh, way <laughs> I, I mean it definitely is a risk um what, what kind of came in I, I knew you mentioned earlier hey i could do it myself you know why yep. why need, why do i have the third third uh party in here and, and kind of what came into your mindset when you decided to do that and, and how things went with it Yep. Well, so I started Lionhawk initially because, um, well, number one, I needed a label name to put my own music out under. And um, so I got a distribution deal through Capital, and I needed a label name. But I, I always wanted to have my own label. Since I was a kid, I wanted to have a music label. I don't know. I just thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to have my own label. And I, I had so many talented friends, uh, Stephen and Jude Moses and... James and all the bright lights and yeah, so good. Jeremy has a thousand dollar movie and um, there's so many bands these days. Back then it was a lot more expensive to record. A lot of the guys now have gear. They do all their parts at home, you know, on their records. Um, but back, but you know, 10 years ago, it was a lot more expensive. I had to rent a studio and it, it costs a lot more money. And I wanted to help people put out their own music. Yeah. The thing about Lionhawk, though, is that um, around the same time I got my distribution deal and we started releasing music, it also got really hard to make money yeah. selling music. And so I was all, I, I got to the point where I was afraid that I would put albums out for my friends and wouldn't be able to pay them anything. Mm-hmm. And I would own their masters and we wouldn't make any money and they would hate me, which. You know, I, I actually, I'm not saying any names. I don't want to, whatever, but I, I actually know people who have been in contracts and signed their friends and are not friends mm, anymore. That's tough. Because it happens. The truth is in music, nine times out of 10, it doesn't work out. And nobody wants to say that. You know, yeah. But nine times out of 10, label bands don't make it. Mm. You know, it's just true, unfortunately. Yeah. And so when you sign with your friend, 
and they make some money and you don't make any money, you know, you feel like they took your stuff. Sure. Sure. And so until I had a plan where I felt like I could help my friends make some money with their music, I didn't want to sign them. So I haven't signed anybody in a while because the streaming, um, the streaming, uh, system doesn't, doesn't work like sure. sales did. No, totally. Right. It's, it's the long game. And, and I, yeah. I didn't feel like I could help my friends make any money. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But I, I put my records out and my wife's music out under Lionheart. But yeah, and, so I feel sad that I never released another band. But hey, I mean, at least you've got that there. And, you know, like you said, you know, like it is the long game. It, it's, you yeah. know, streaming, it's it's cool. It's all honky-dory in your hand, but yeah, no one gets paid. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. You know it's unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, it's like a, a double-edged sword. It's like, it's amazing. You have all the music in your hand, but it's like, you know, yeah. Unfortunately, the, the indie artist or the artist doesn't make, you know, much much from that the big the suit guys making it so i know well let's let's go into mercury and lightning um great record as well i actually was working at the factory with jonathan when we were pressing that record on vinyl so i pressed about half of those probably myself (laughs) (laughs) love that record it's great another uh reinvention of yourself if you will yep um I definitely can hear Peter Gabriel in it a lot. I can, you know, I, all that stuff that you mentioned before, totally can hear that. Let's talk about that record and maybe your thoughts on it as well. Yeah. So that record, if you remember, Economy was kind of a flop. And I actually do like that record. I'm not saying it's not good. It's a great record. I feel like it could be better in some ways um, than it is. Mostly I just think it could use a couple more songs. And there's a couple of things we could have done. But the album also commercially flopped. Is the... You know, which is funny because it's my—it's the only album that able the—it's the only album the label actually released, right? The medicine they licensed. I released it beforehand. They re-released it, licensed it, but the only album they own is Economy, and it flopped. So, um, coming out of Economy, and then Borderlands did pretty well, right? Borderland did pretty well, and I—I I got my head a little bit mixed up. And I started to think that there's like a magic formula and that because the producer who did song inside the sound and the medicine also did borderland. And those three albums seemed to do well, you know, respectively of when they were released and and the way they were released and economy didn't do well. So I started to feel like, I don't know how to make, I I don't, I'm, I'm maybe I'm maybe the magic formula is working with this particular producer. But also, he was going through some problems. Um, he was going through some things, and he and I had some issues with one another. And at the time, we could not work together. And so um, I got I got really sort of scared to make the next record. So my buddy Gabe Wilson, um, I'd met him when we were touring on the West Coast, and he was living in Folsom, California, you know, Folsom Prison Blues. He's living in Folsom. And he um and he'd been begging me to do an album with him and I didn't want to because I was afraid that it wasn't gonna be good because I felt like I could only make good albums with this one producer. Yeah. And so finally it was towards the end of the year and I I knew that I was gonna go platinum on Delta if I wow. did one more trip. Sorry, is that my dog? <laughs> no, it's my dog. Okay. I think my dog was barking a minute ago too. 
so uh, I, I hit Gabe up and he's like, just come out and do a song. You can go platinum on your uh, Delta and, um, and we'll just, we'll just do something for fun. If you don't like it, forget about it. Right. And I went out and uh, my buddy, Jesse Proctor, who's playing drums for me, played drums for me for a long time. Oh yeah. I remember him. He's awesome. Um, he came down and he played a bunch of the instruments. Um, and I think he and Gabe and myself played most of the instruments, but Jesse probably played most of them. Um, and we recorded Wilder Love in that one little three day time period. And I was like, this is so cool and so different and so fun. And so not what, uh, I've done before. And, um, and so I was like, all right, well, I don't know what this is going to be, but Wilder Love is fun. So let's do a record. So that's kind of how American Lightning started. So are you there? Did I lose yeah. you? No, you're good. I'm, I'm, I was just listening to what you were saying. Yeah, amazing record. Love everything about it. What are your thoughts looking back on that? Uh, man, I, I love that record. I also, that was a hard record to make because I also was having a little bit of a faith crisis at the time. But it's, it's interesting. When you, I'm a, I'm a believer, right? But my identity is based on being a believer. My income is based on being a believer. Sure. My ego is based on being a believer. And then I have this real meaningful work where it means a lot to a lot of people. But it's all based on being a believer. And I felt like I wasn't allowed to ask certain questions wow. because I was going to lose all that. And so those questions started to pop out in the music. I wasn't doing it intentionally. Yeah. So it's really interesting is Mercury Lightning is is almost a it's like i would never call it a deconstruction album right that sure. term became really popular after that album came out deconstruction yeah. but it but it practically is a deconstruction album Interesting. i think it lands in a really beautiful place but i was definitely changing and so it was really hard i was like i don't know if anyone's gonna like this there's not really a lot of worship songs on this some of these songs might be hard for people and there probably for a minute was a portion of my audience who may have given up on me at that point. We also did the weird video, Wilder Love video with the da dancing man. And, uh, you know, but what's funny is over the years, that album has become maybe the most popular album. And I think it's because the deconstruction wave, or there's just a whole wave of, of people who grew up in church who need, a new expression and needed someone to be like, Hey, it's okay. Like it's okay to be confused. Right. And that's really what that album was about. No, that's cool. I didn't, I mean, I kind of had heard something of that, of, you know, about you kind of losing your faith somewhat, but I didn't realize yeah. that, that that record really kind of, you know, was, you know, a way of you, you know, putting that out there. I didn't realize that that's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, you know, obviously you said you're, still a believer so it, was it kind of one of those things that you just had to obviously go through to kind of see where you're at at this point or like was it one of those things that you, did you come to a conclusion i guess at, at the end of that record maybe that kind of maybe put you back on the path yeah i don't know if it if it put me back on the path necessarily the album i don't know if the album put me back on the path um but i think that i had to allow myself to be honest with how i felt about god totally and I feel like anything that really matters, you owe it to yourself to be honest about. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I got—I think at the end of that record, it's like if God is big enough, then He can handle my questions. Yep. Like if God is big enough, 
um, then he can handle me saying, Hey, like, I really love you. I really like who I want you to be. But if you're not who I think you are, I have no power to make you that. Sure. Right. And so like, and sort of like, it sort of puts it on God, like, which is really interesting. Like, like I'm a finite being, how come I'm supposed to figure out the universe in its complexity? Yeah. But I guess that's the point. You're not, it's impossible. And it is. It's true. You know, it's impossible. And so it's sort of like it became more of a dance and less of a, um, a science paper. Right. Mm. It's almost like, um, I'm going to let God be who God is and I'm going to try and serve who I think God is. But if you want to like put a gun to my head and want to demand what, who want me to tell you exactly who God is? I'm like, I don't know that that's possible. Yeah, no, I get that. Right. Like, and some people might even have a hard time hearing me say that, but I'm absolutely obsessed with God and I love Jesus, but like the certainty having to have, having to demand this amount of certainty seems unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So how can you know something you don't know? You just pretend you know it. Right. Yeah. But maybe that's not about knowing, maybe it's about engaging in the process. Right. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. so that's sort of where I came off from that record. It's like, I don't know. But that's I'm cool. definitely willing to engage. Yeah, man. That, and that's, I mean, that's the journey, you know, not, you know, like having the mystery, you know, to me, you know, as a believer myself, I, you know, there's sometimes I'm just never going to know. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think totally. I've come to that conclusion myself, you know, so that's cool though. That's, that's interesting. Um, you know, now that I, when I listen to that record, I'm going to probably look at it a different way and, and I don't mean that wrong, but, and sure. I'm just going to listen to the lyrics in a different way now. And I think that's cool. It's intriguing. That's really cool that you said that. And I, I'm, you know, yeah. it's not like, I'm glad you're back on the team, <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> it's cool. I mean, you know, you got to know what you believe and you got to know why you believe it. So, I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's kind of one of those things that we all kind of have to go through. So I think that's sure. cool. And, and like you said, being honest, man, I, that, that's where it's at. So mm. love hearing that, dude. Yeah, well, uh, so that record comes out. Is the reception good for that as well? I mean, obviously, at Borderland did well. You said, how did how did, how did yep. the reception go for that? Mercury Lightning seems to do pretty well. It, it was a little bit difficult because it's difficult to know because you're moving more and more into a streaming world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that was the first album that I actually released directly to streaming platforms remember for a minute there it was like spotify was like the bargain bin and if your fans wanted to hear you the day you came out they had to buy it yeah you know and then if they weren't super fans and they were okay to wait they could wait and stream it but it was almost that delayed thing but it got to the point where it's like okay this is more and more common now and we all know that the stream the uh downloads is going to basically disappear so it's really about what point do you just go all in with streams and so uh mercury and lightning was the first album that went directly to streaming seemed like it did really well um and even now some of those songs are the most streamed songs on um on spotify or on sure. <laughs> not on spotify overall but on my spotify sure right? sure um which is really interesting because uh, songs like the medicine songs on the medicine are not in the top ten, but the Crazy. Mercury Lightning stuff hangs out in the top ten, right? It's always kind of there's Wilder Love and usually Mercury and Lightning and a handful of those that uh, Death and Reverse will hang out in the top ten. So 
I think this. I think it did really, really well. I think maybe at first it confused people a little bit. We also did the tour with Need to Breathe, and I officially stopped. Oh, touring. that's like, right. Yeah, I forgot I that. Not officially, but I officially told my team I don't want to do like worship stuff anymore. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Because I was against it, but I was like, I'm not writing those kind of songs, and so it feels like it's a it's it's bad for me and them. If I'm just doing all these worship things, singing older and older songs, because I'm not really writing those types of songs so much anymore. So it was, we, we did a, the tour was really well. It was probably one of the most, the tour after the record came out. So we did the Need to Breathe tour and then the album came out afterwards. So the single came out before that tour. We did the tour and then the album came out. That's cool. And that year the album came out, I think it's 2017. That tour was one of our most successful tours. I bet. Those are huge, like they were massive. It was, they? they were pretty big. Yeah. I yeah. mean, for us, for sure. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. We were selling out decent sized clubs. I think we ended up doing like over a thousand in Chicago. That's amazing. We've done that with other bands before, but on our own, those are big numbers. That is big so, numbers. That's cool. So people, yeah, people responded really well to that record. I definitely got some flack too, where people are like, ah, oh, he's gone. Who, what does he think? You yeah. Know. There's always going to be those. People caught up though. That's cool, though. Yeah. How do you, uh, do you do you love that record yourself? Do I like look back on it? That is one of my favorite records. That's, That's great. one of my favorite albums for sure. That's and the cool. sounds we went. I mean, we we spent so much time and energy on the sounds for that record. That's cool. Which is very much it. It was it was done in a different way, but it's very much like what we did with the medicine in the sense that we made a big deal out of every sound. Yeah. And we tried to find um, something unique, a unique way to make every sound. And we yeah. put a lot of energy into that. And so it, it obviously sounded different because it's a different team, but it was a similar approach in the sense that yeah. like we were going to like kill ourselves to come up with something that felt new. Totally. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, I think yeah. you achieved it. You know, I think it's Dude, well, fantastic thanks. record. Absolutely. Man. So next peopled with dreams. And I know this was, you know, kind of in the in the middle of, or you dropped it right what right around covid so I'm i sure, did i'm sure that was a I nightmare did. in and of itself uh no let's, let's talk about that record and maybe kind of how yep. that was for you going through that and and looking so, back on it yep so people with dreams is interesting because there's another time when i thought i might be i might be done with music right so we did the um need to breathe tour and we put out mercury and lightning and that tour went really well but then the way touring works, and it's changed a little bit, but generally the first year you put out an album, you get a really good reception. The second year after that album comes out, a lot of times you don't get a great turnout. And so that's kind of how it's been for us. So a lot of bands, if you'll notice, when they put out the new record, they'll do a big headlining tour the first year. Sure. And then the second year, they'll do a bunch of co-headlines or they'll open for a bigger band or they'll do yeah. that type of thing. They'll put another record. Now, I, don't, I have no idea how it's supposed to work now with singles. Right. I really just totally. don't know. It's kind of a mess, but that same idea still sort of applies and that like, you got to have some new material and something new. And so after Mercury and lightning, I didn't, I didn't have anything. And we had had three kids at this point and they were pretty young and we were, Sarah was pretty exhausted. Not me bad. being on the road so much and her being home with three kids. Um, my my team, I kind of had a falling out with. This is like boring stuff. No one ever talks about. But a um, 
an artist is more than just an artist, right? You, mm-hmm. you have like, you have a team of people who are helping you do all the stuff that you sure. need to do. And you, um, like if it's hard to be the only one who wakes up and dreams about your stuff, mm-hmm. because you got to like, you got to pursue different things. If you, if you get an opening slot, it's cause someone reached out to 20 different bands. Yeah. And they like had multiple conversations with different people and they figured out like, how do I get this other manager on the phone? Like, why does, why is anyone want to take John Mark out? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, people take you out on tour cause you're either really cool or you um, are a really good draw and you sure. can help them sell, sell the venues. Tickets. Yeah. Yeah. And as you get older, you're not that cool guy with the big draw anymore. It's like, so they'll bring out no names if they're just super cool. You know, usually 22-year-olds doing really cool stuff because they're sure. young and it's novel, it's new. So you get older, you're not the cool guy, and I draw a certain amount of people. So where do I fit, right? So anyway, you have, you have, a, you have people who are figuring that out for you, right? They're trying to figure out opportunities for you. And, uh, you know, and it felt like, um, like I had some disagreements with the people who were doing that. I think they got to the point where um, it was like they felt like we had sort of stalled out because we weren't engaging in, um, you know, with more of the worship market. Mm. You know, I I think we all thought um, that we could do this switch where we move from doing worship stuff to doing something else. But we never landed any other sort of big radio or anything like that. Sure. And so I think it was a point. It's like, okay, well are we done? Like, is this just like, we're just going to like hang out and enjoy the fruit of the last 10, 12 years worth of work. And I was like, I, I, I don't get out of bed to do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be excited. Right. Like I gotta, sure. I gotta have something to do. Like I don't, it's really awesome that I've been able to build this catalog of albums and own my masters and, and everything. But like, None of that matters when I wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's like the only thing that matters is what I'm working on this week. And um, and so I don't know. I don't really know what happened. Some people maybe got burnt out. We had some disagreements about direction. Sure. And I think ultimately they realized like, I think maybe some of the people on the team thought because we had a couple of huge worship successes that we were going to engage in that and help make them a lot of money Mm. and they aren't just money guys selfish people but that's their job right it's trying to figure out how to make the finances work and figure out how to grow the business and so we ended up having a falling out and um i was just like i don't know you know i don't know how i'm going to rebuild this thing on my own Mm. some really important people weren't involved anymore and I missed their involvement. I didn't know what I was going to do. So my buddy Jacob, he um, he had been around since the medicine, interning at the studio. Jacob Arnold? Did the, not uh, Jacob Early. Oh, okay, Early. Yeah, not Jacob Arnold. Yeah, Jacob Early. He'd been in most of those um, sessions. He also had edited a lot of those sessions as an intern. Oh, that's cool. Ended up working for the studio and he'd gone out on his own. So it's interesting that he and I had actually kind of been together working together in one capacity or another for a long, long time. That is cool. So he started coming over and really just because I was bored, I started writing songs again. 
I didn't know what I had to say or what mattered or if anybody cared. And so I started writing songs again. And Jacob and I just started working on songs for fun. It's cool. Right. And we, you know, and, and uh, we, we were doing it in my basement. We were making, you know, and then after a while I was like, I like these songs. Yeah. Like, I was like, we'll just put out singles just like for fun, just to stay connected with people while I try and figure out what I'm going to do. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I love these songs. I really, really love these songs. And so we made it an album. We finished it up and called it Peopled with Dreams. And we um, were ready to release it, put out the first couple of singles. We were in rehearsals to tour it. And then we got the call that um, <laughs> everything had been canceled. Yes. For COVID and my manager was like, yeah, in six weeks. We'll have this all redone and no, it was two years, two years later. we finally Unbelievable. Got so it was like my big comeback record and uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it uh, got squashed by COVID. That's awful. Yeah, it was, it was. People still heard those songs though. And honestly, the songs are so hopeful. I feel like people sure. needed that during that time, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And I got a lot of amazing feedback. People were so grateful that I put that record out of that exact time. Yeah, man, that's great. I love just, hearing that. Yeah. But I mean, you know, and it didn't work out the way you wanted to maybe in your mind, but like yeah. it's one of those things that no one had control over, you know, and it was, you know, at least it, that record's out there and you know, when you in the future when you tour, you know, you'll get to play some of those songs, I assume, you know. Yeah, and, for sure. So, you know, that's kind of a, you know, a, a new opportunity for people to hear the songs live. So, I'm, I'm looking back yeah. on it, how do you feel about that record in general? I love it. Those have some of my favorite songs I've ever written. So those are my two favorite records, People with Dreams and Mercury and Lightning. Okay, I was going to ask you, what are your, what's your favorite record? And I'm going to ask you the million-dollar question. Yeah. What's, what's your favorite song you've ever written? <laughs> so, um, yeah, those are my two favorite records. And depending on – I mean, they're probably my two favorites because I haven't put out my new record yet. And usually it's whatever I'm working on at the moment. Sure. But looking back – those two albums are my favorite. I feel like I learned how to write songs on Mercury is Lightning. I know that sounds dumb. No, I get what you're saying. I feel like Songcraft was like a mystery. And I realized on Mercury and Lightning, like, oh, I can actually work on songs and I can actually finish them. It's not magic. It's just hard work. Absolutely. Well, if you do the hard work, the magic shows up faster. Sure. sure. Right? There is magic. It just mad. The magic requires that you go to work. Yeah. And I learned that on Mercury and Lightning, I can work. Um, and I feel like um, that I, that rolled into People with Dreams is much more confident in those songs. Yeah. Um, those are my two favorite records, though. I think, too, I also believe in what I'm saying on those yeah. two albums the most. Totally. And it's not that I don't agree. It's not that I don't agree with what I said on the last records. But I feel like the the lyrics are more cohesive and they're better songs. It's the others when I listen to my other records, the songs are good, but they sound unfinished. No, I get. They sound like I need to like they need one more edit, right? It's those two records sound like the songs mostly sound like yeah they were finished real songs. Yeah, to me, my favorite song though, if you want me to tell you my favorite song, my favorite song I've ever written is the Road the Rocks and the Weeds. Wow. Which I wish I'd have called it Goodbye Olympus because that'd be much easier to say. <laughs> you know, or just called what? it The Road. Why is that your favorite? I think that because I have this whole conflict throughout my career of being like a person, a voice, a Christian voice who's 
not very confident in my faith, right? And uh, I feel like that is the song where I finally worked the whole thing out. It's like that song to me is everything I believe and everything that is still a mystery that I've decided to be comfortable with. Yeah. Um, So that, that song to me, I think is um, probably my, my statement. That's cool. For how I feel about God in the world. That's awesome. That's really cool. I don't know. I don't know if I ever write a better song than that. Nice. (laughs) You know, I really don't, you know, I hope I do, but it would be tough. It'd be hard. I don't know what I would say. I get that. I get that. I think it'd be better than that song. Well, I will tell you, I love New Day in the Dark. Oh, thank you. I absolutely think it sounds amazing. Um, Yeah, I wanted to talk about that briefly and, you know, kind of maybe what's what's up with the future for you. Yeah, so New Day in the Dark. It's funny. I started that. I I might have started that song before we did Peopled with Dreams. Wow. I think I was just lonely and bored. And I felt like I was totally forgotten and lost and nobody cared. And I wrote that song. I wrote part of that song. And I didn't think that's a song anybody would want to hear. So I didn't finish it. But my wife every now and then be like, what happened to that song? She's like, I love that song. And we're sort of finishing up all this material for Deep Magic, you know, which is all the singles we put out since People with Dreams. And I was like, I need three more songs for this to be an album, but they have to be, they have to be good songs. They can't be B-sides and they have to fit. Sure. And I had one that we started before um, that I just didn't finish. Um, and I started at the end of People with Dreams, but I didn't think it fit People with Dreams. Uh-huh. We'd start it called Love with a Crown, which was called something else back then. And really it needed a couple more parts. And I, me and Jacob pulled it up. I was like, this is good. And I was like, it oddly fits the rest of the record. That's cool. So I had that. Then we had a song called Deep Magic, which I I just like the concept of Deep Magic. And I don't, I, I wasn't going to write a song called Deep Magic. And then I... I was messing around with something and I did. It just kind of happened. It's like, so, well, I got to put that on the album because the album is called Deep Magic. And it's like, well, I need one more. And I was listening through my voice memos. I was like, holy crap, this song fits this album perfectly. That's sick. I I almost wonder if this is the song I was writing in the beginning when I started to lean into these other ideas, more piano stuff, Mm -hmm. more straightforward, more stuff that's melody oriented instead of lyric oriented and, uh, I mean, it is the lyrics are good, but I mean, like I used to use a lot of words and I think that that was because I was insecure about my melodies. It's more like Bob Dylan. You don't always love his melodies, though he does write good melodies is, you know, and, but I was like, I didn't challenge myself and write melodies. No, totally, totally. But it's like, man, I think the whole journey of this album started with that song. So I'm going to finish it. And we did. And I was just kind of blown away at how it turned out. Cause it's actually really simple. Like there's not a lot going on. There's like piano, it's like sampled drums and vocals and some little weird giblets. Like there's not. I think that's what I love about it. I love yeah. how simple it is. I mean, sometimes yeah. those are the best songs, you know, just the simplicity of it. I agree. It just hit. I was like, wow, that just, that just worked. I love that. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you put it out. Yeah. And I, when I heard it, I was like, man, it's brutal. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. Man. Sweet man. Well, 
tell me what the future looks like for you. I, I, I know you kind of mentioned maybe putting, um, you know, this uh, this record out coming out. Yep. What does the future look like for you? I know you got a tour coming out or coming up, and uh, kind of yep. let's let's read the uh, Magic Eight Ball. Yeah, totally. So I don't know when this episode will come out, but next month I'm starting. Uh, um, I'm, I'm starting a new thing that I'm trying out where I do about three or four shows a month. So. I'm going out next month doing um, three shows acoustic. And originally it was acoustic tour because if you've seen our show recently, I'll come out in the middle with Steven and I'll take requests and I'll talk and we'll do acoustic versions of songs. Cause I have so many songs now, like a hundred, I have a hundred songs Holy crap. that I've recorded and released. And so I can't fit them all in the set. So yeah. I, I'll play small portions of them in this middle, you know, um acoustic thing and it's always like like a lot of fun and so i thought it'd be interesting to do a whole tour of just that they just go out and have songs and just play acoustic versions of songs so we're kind of trying it out right yeah i do and so i booked i booked sort of um a handful of shows each month of the fall and then texas the shows got big and they and some of the venues wanted the full band so I, uh, I made that a full band run. So that was a little confusing, but, <laughs> but honestly though, it's good for the band. Cause I love my band guys, Totally, you know? And, um, and so it's, it's a good opportunity for us to go out and do what we do together. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm doing a handful of shows each month the rest of the year. That's cool. You coming down yeah. South? Uh, I, not just yet though. I, I have been talking about maybe next year doing, um, doing a jacksonville show and maybe birmingham and um something in south carolina you know doing yeah. a little three four show run like that love that man we'd love to hang out That's yeah cool. i know i know that'd be so much fun so we'll do that tour um the deep magic album comes out officially in october oh that's exciting yep and um Man, and then I, I I've got two albums that I'm writing. We'll see which one I finish and put out next year. So that's awesome, dude. Yeah, man, I'm so stoked right now. I really appreciate you coming <laughs> on my podcast, man. It's been yeah, an man. awesome, awesome conversation. Dude, I love it. I love talking to you. Yeah, dude. Well, I'm you know I will. I'm just really honored that you came on and and uh, really stoked to hear what you got in the future. And man, I'm, I really appreciate your friendship. Yeah, man, dude. Thank you so much. Awesome, man. Well, hopefully I'll see you soon, uh, maybe ne early next year, or maybe if I come up to Charlotte or something. So. Yep, definitely. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Dude, sweet. All right. Thank you to the listener for tuning in to this latest episode. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you'd like to add me on uh, Instagram and Facebook, at the Rivers True Cast. If you'd like to like and subscribe, you know the drill, guys. Thank you to John Mark McMillan. Awesome conversation. I uh, really appreciate you coming on. and uh, It was good to talk and, and catch up. So hope to see you soon, buddy. Uh, amazing artists on the horizon. I'm, I'm really blessed to do this, and, and I really appreciate all, all the artists that have come on and, and, and are about to come on. So, uh, yeah, nostalgia, guys, it's a hell of a drug. <laughs>